Amen. Hey, thank you to our worship team. That was always special, but extra special this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. It is really good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Andy. I gave him a call late on Friday night and said, dude, I have a fever, and you better get one ready. I know you have one in your back pocket. And, and Andy always delivers, so thank you, Pastor Andy. What an outstanding message you gave last week. Maybe he's outside somewhere. Natalie, would you tell Andy all that? Thank you. Oh, man. Um, well, you know, it's interesting how uh, these little bugs work that I think all three of uh, um, I was sick, Scott was sick, and Andy was sick. And I guess that's what happens when you call the church to prayer for 40 days. You know, you get a little hit, but that's all right. I'm grateful to be back and... Um, yeah, I'm, one of the things that was great about having some time down, um, a couple of things. One, I actually slept 10 hours a few nights. That was crazy, right? That was amazing. I was like makeup time or something. I don't know what was going on there. But just to have the time where it's not business as usual and um, more time to read and just sit in God's word. And I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for the gospel of John and time to read it. And so um, I'm going to get right into it in, in John chapter 8. If you want to get your Bibles ready, we're in the, the last half of that chapter. But before I do, just one quick announcement. Um, we will be doing a baby dedication on February 11th. So any of you young parents that want to dedicate your baby as well, you can jump on, on that train. Um, no pressure there, but just wanted you to know that that's something that's going to be happening on February 11th if you want to mark your calendars. It's cool. to We call it our, our Bridge Organic Church Growth Model. It's working, man. Uh, so thank you all for being fruitful and multiplying, subduing the earth. Um, John chapter 8. Just by way of review where we left off in um, last week, in John chapter 8, you notice this, um, it's, it's like a cultural phenomenon for the first century of dialogue where it's um, these, it's almost like a sparring match, you know, I have a, a little graphic of that sparring match, it's, it's, I don't know if you have that, but um, just so you know what I'm talking about, it's like this, um, that was a free graphic, can you tell? <laughs> so... Uh, but it's, it's as though um, there's a claim that's made, and then there's a, a challenge to that claim directly, and then there's a defense to that claim, and then the public is left to make a decision. And that's exactly what was happening in, in Jesus' dialogue um, with the Pharisees, or the religious leaders. And, um, and it would be common a common thread as you read literature from the first century. They were just behaving as you would behave in the culture in that time. And, and what's fascinating as you follow that and what the Gospel of John is, is causing us to do is to listen to all these facts, right? And these facts get challenged. And then Jesus gives a response to those facts. And then we are the public. We are the public that now has to go, what do we do with these claims? Isn't and, and, and as you're reading it and you begin to see it more clearly, you see how, um, how nasty that the religious leaders get. Man, they just go after Jesus, and in the, um, in the first chapter, um, the first part of that chapter that Andy covered last week, they seek immediately to discredit his testimony. Anything about him that he's saying, they're like, it doesn't count because you don't have any witness. And you know, Jesus gives this masterful response of basically um, the, the end punchline is, hey, I'm God, I am my own witness. You know, I was here from the beginning, but my father bears witness. Then they begin to double down or they get a little deeper, I should say, and they challenge um, his father's validity. They, they go after kind of, hey, who do you think you are? 
um, basically they say, well, aren't you kind of, weren't you born illegitimately? You know, they, they raise the scandal back up, and Jesus addresses the scandal surrounding his birth that wasn't a scandal at all, just very difficult for people to believe. But then they further insult him by indirectly, and if you're reading through the lenses of culture, you can see that they're further insulting him by saying, you're suicidal and unstable, and you, there's a spot for you in the worst spot in hell. Now, for us as the readers, and I think Pastor Andy helped us to see that, for us as first cent- or, uh, 20, what century are we in? Whatever, 21st century. For us as readers now, we're, we're maybe not seeing it that way, but, but it would have been crystal clear to Jesus then. And so I have a slide here that just reinforces what they were trying to do. And I think this is important because as we get into the final part of the chapter, you're going to see so clearly that there's a truth claim and then something of a lie. A truth claims something of a lie. A truth claims something of a lie. And then in the end, you're left as the public going, what do I do with all the facts? So the first thing they try to do is discredit Jesus, his integrity. You're not reliable or trustworthy. This is, um, and, and as I'm reading this throughout the week, it's just like uh, you feel like getting a soapbox somewhere, setting it out in the public square, and just like fiery preaching, you know, just like really exposing the lies of the enemy that's prevailing in our world today, right? And, and so the things that you see here that are happening, you could transfer to you as a believer if you're a follower of Jesus. This is the very thing that the liar does to discredit you, to bring untruths about your faith, about who you are. And so the first thing they do is they discredit his integrity. You're you're, um, not reliable or trustworthy. Again, the second thing they do is they demean him, right? They go after his identity. There is just such a fierce and demonic uh, attempt to destroy identity from, from all of us, really, but certainly from a young generation, certainly from children um, and teenagers and young adults. You're illegitimate is basically what they tell them. The third thing is they try to destroy his reputation. You're unstable. You're suicidal. We went through the, the passage that declares that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but that he is God, that he is a part of the, tr- the Trinity, which is difficult for anyone to understand, but it's a reality in Scripture. And this is where I want to just jump back, and just this is still free information. This is all review. I haven't gotten into today's stuff yet, just so you know. But if you look in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, I, I think this is such an important um, progression in Scripture. I think it's so important for us to, to grab a hold of. This is where, where um, Moses interacts with God at the burning bush. And this is what it says. And I, I prayed this earlier, and I think about this so often. When God introduces himself, and he introduces himself as I am, or as we know it as Yahweh, he's, he's, he's not only saying that I'm preexistent, that I always was and I always will be, but he's saying I have a name and I'm with you and you can know me. Okay, this is so important. And this is what... His character looks like in your life. This is how it looked to the children of Israel. It says, then the Lord said, and mind you, where are the children of Israel at right now? They're in captivity, right? They're being held in slavery to an incredibly unjust government that is forcing them to do things that are impossible to do. Make bricks without straw, you know, just keep going and just driving them into their machine, into the government's machine to, to develop this land. It says, then the Lord says, I've surely seen your affliction. 
of my people who are in Egypt. And it says, I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And all those things would be amazing to me. And they should be amazing to you that God is aware of all of this. But this line really drives it home in verse 8. It says, and I've come down to deliver. Maybe if you don't take anything away from today, you take this away. That the God that you serve and know, he sees you, he hears you, he knows what's going on, and he promises that he is coming down to deliver. He'll make all things new. Since I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up into a land that is good, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Honey, I call it hundy, but it's honey. Hundy, hundy. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know. Just go with it. Anyways, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Amorites. I'm naming, I'm giving people new names over here. You guys make sure you check everything I say. Watch it on video. Anyways, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the impression, oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring the people bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the children out of the land of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this will be a sign that um, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out, um, you shall about, I think you can read it on the screen. I did pretty good for a while. Anyways, you see up here, and, and, and maybe shoot a picture of that, and and meditate on that and realize that and know that, that this is your God. And that this same God is Jesus. This same God is Jesus. That when you want to understand what God looks like, what he acts like, you look through the lenses of Jesus who showed us the way. But what's, I think, really important is he gives this name, I am. Jesus gives this name, I am. He's going to make it unmistakably clear at the end of the chapter just to cut to the, the, the chase. But this is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14, when Isaiah prophesies that, that the Lord himself will give you a sign and the virgin will give birth and he's going to have a name. And what's his name? What's his name? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. This is what Jesus is saying to them. And so if you jump down now to John chapter 8, verse 28, it says, so um, Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Basically what he's saying is when when Jesus is brought to the cross, there's a lot of people that are going to go, oh. And we see that happening. We see that happening as we read the, the account of his crucifixion. Verse 29, it says, and he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And here's what I want to end with, and I want you to make note of. Verse 30 says, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. That's where we leave off. And so today we, we jump into verse 31. And we have these, these Jewish people, the people that he came to who are believing in him. But what you're going to notice is, is I, as I read it, I was kind of stuck there going, well, if they believed in him, why is there such a, a rough conversation happening, right? It, it doesn't seem like an easy conversation. It gets a bit harsh. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews um, who had believed in him, 
If you abide, if you're an underliner in your Bible, you might want to underline that word abide or somehow mark it. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Those are powerful words, aren't they? I may have quoted those words before, believed those words before, know that it's, it's the reality of the gospel. But what's interesting is their response to that. Mind you, these are people who believed him. And the word believe in that Greek terminology would, would indicate that this is something that they go, oh, okay, this makes sense. This is reasonable. What this man is saying, he has, as a, as a member of the public hearing the, the spar, that this thing ends with me going, yep, I think that Jesus is true. And I believe what he's saying. Are you tracking with me? But Jesus gives a contrast or a, a, another level of belief called called abiding, right? And, and the Gospel of John is going to talk more about abiding. In the 15th chapter is kind of this famous chapter of, of remaining or abiding in him. Jesus, the, the vine, and we are the branches. But, but there's a difference between knowing that something is logical and makes sense as the ones who are determining the facts and existing in or persisting in as the word abide means. The ones who exist in, persist in, that we are called those that are in Christ. There's a different level. It's not just we just believe that it's true. But this is our everything that we hang on to. The very words of the rabbi that we follow or that they were following. The words of the Messiah, the words of Jesus are the truth that I abide by, that I live by. Not just when I feel like it. Not just when it seems to make sense. But this is the truth. How many of you know that the truth is on trial these days? Like even me saying the truth, the, putting the word the in front of it is offensive to some people. And I'm not here to get on an angry rant. That's just easy preaching, right? Because preaching to the choir, probably most of us would be like, yeah, all those idiots that believe that. You know, that's not the point. In fact, that's a big reason why, why we're investing in this Think Summit. It's, it's not to convince you of what you already know, that the topics that we'll be covering, you're going to be like, yeah, I think that's wrong. <laughs> it's to, to work out how we talk about these things and how we reason through them and how we think through them biblically. But, but the, the point, I, and I don't want to get too far off there, but what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is that there's a difference between, uh, again, knowing that something makes sense and believing it to your core and abiding in it consistently. And this is what we're going to see. Because now, Jesus pushed a button. Just as even saying the word, the truth, could push the button for some, Jesus pushes a button in those that are believing. It says, they answered him. This is verse 33. We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Now, now, let's just read that for a second. Anybody here have any understanding of Israel's history? The offspring of Abraham. Is this a true statement? So you're doing the challenge, right? They're like, no, it isn't. That's basically what that is. Like, if, you, if the truth, you'll be free and the truth will set you free. No, it's not because we're not enslaved, right? I was thinking, like, this is a, a perception of reality. But, but even more, I was reviewing my notes going, this is not a perception of reality. This is a deception of reality. 
And there are many who live in a deception of reality. And in, in areas in our lives, we live in a deception of reality where we think something is true, but it's really not. We live in a society that as long as you say it with utmost confidence and repetitively, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, then somehow it becomes true. This is not true. The facts are from the very beginning. Do you remember we read out of, why were we reading out of Exodus? Because the children of Israel were where? In Egypt. They were enslaved. And you follow that pattern through the Philistines, through um, the Babylonians, through the Persians. But what's most interesting is not their distant history. What is the cultural moment that they're speaking into or that they're living in right now? Who's in charge? Through their military might, they're in charge. I would call that captivity. So, so Jesus, again, makes a truth statement. If you abide in me and in my word, the truth will make you free. Now you're seeing a lie. Okay, the lie that's believed is, I don't need freedom. My dad's Abraham. What, what I think you, you, we should know historically, because their father was Abraham, it was, it was their entitlement to freedom because they, that was their birthright, right? Hey, this is my birthright. You, all that stuff, yeah, yeah, it happened, but it's not my reality. My reality is that I am free because my dad's Abraham. I have a quote here that I thought was fascinating because there's this term called narcissist. You familiar with it? <laughs> it's an unreasonably high sense of self-worth. It's, it's a, and I don't, I don't say this like just flippantly. I don't intend to. That, you know, it's a psychological disorder. But I think we're living in a, in a culture and a time that is ripe for narcissism, right? It's just like, let's just keep feeding this unhealthy sense or this unreasonably high sense of self-worth. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you shouldn't have self-worth. Every person in here is created in the image of God. But the word unreasonable is what's important. And, and here's um, a, a quote that I found. I don't know who, who said it, but I thought it was really interesting. It says, to anger an honest person, tell a lie. To anger a narcissist, tell the truth. Well, let that settle for a moment. What's happening in this exchange is this, this um, national perception or this, this grouping of people's perception that, hey, who, who, yeah, what you're saying makes sense, but who do you think you are to speak into my life? Jesus doesn't slow down. He speeds it up, which is so like Jesus. It says this in verse 34. Truly, truly. What do we know when he's saying truly, truly? What do we know about that? It's, it's basically him saying, hey, I'm about to drop something on you. You need to pause and listen. Like, listen, he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Again, we understand it through our lenses, but he's speaking culturally about slavery, that the only one that could free a slave is a freed person, right? So you couldn't just earn your freedom. You had to be freed by a free person. And so he's speaking that, but he's saying something even deeper. He says this, I know you're the offspring of Abraham, but you seek to kill me. My words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you 
do what you have heard from your father. He basically is saying this. I I get it. I get where you're coming from. But he's saying that you say Abraham is your father, and he's going to say it even more clearly, but you don't even act like your father. He goes on in, in verse 34. He says, truly, truly, once again, anyone who practices sin um, is, is a slave to sin. I think I just repeated that point just so you really get it. Um, but who the sun sets free is free indeed. I want to just pause for a moment because uh, I think that it's important to look at, again, this idea of just believing versus abiding in. If you look at, at Jesus' words in the parables, you remember the parables of the different soils, right? That there was the, the seed that was sown in different soils and that that seed took different root in different ways. And one um, in, in, the, um, in the good soil, it takes a deep root and it plants and it, it, it gets rooted and it grows into something beautiful. In the rocky soil, it's very shallow. In the thorny soil, it's rooted. It comes up, but it's choked. It just speaks to the different ways that we respond to God's word, the different ways that we respond to the truth that he's spoken to us. And certainly, Jesus is addressing that with with these guys here. I I wanted to say these things because I feel like um, it's important. I think it's important when we talk about truth to know what we're talking about. And, you know, sometimes you hesitate to say, like, things that are so simple. Um, But I'm not taking for granted that this is simple in the world that we live in. And so I just wanted to define some things about truth. And these things are, are, are not exhaustive. Um, there's people who devote their entire life to the philosophical study of truth. And I'm no expert, but I believe that the truth is Jesus. And, and so the, the first thing that I want to say about the truth is the truth is knowable. You can know the truth. He, said, he says it that you can. So if you're living in a world that tells you that you can't, that's a lie. It's just that simple. And it's important for us as followers of Jesus to be able to be discipled through these things in the cultural moment that we live in. When it, it, it isn't overly complicated, it's just difficult. Okay, it isn't overly complicated. The truths that are there that God lays out in his word are easy to understand. It's just completely muddled through a lot of complication that makes it difficult for people to grasp. This next point about the truth is very important. That like God, the truth is pre-existent. And why this is important is that you can't create the truth. Does that make sense? Do you guys agree with this? Is this controversial or anything? I'm not quite sure. The truth is noble and the truth is pre-existent, right? The reason that it's, it's both noble and pre-existent is because, again, the truth is a person. The truth is a person. Jesus declares that that he is what? The way, the truth, and the life. And so that's the third point, that the truth is a person. The fact that truth can't be created is is important for us to really grasp. That means that you can can know truth and you can't create it. Um, And and I want to be really clear on this point. And and again, I I don't want to say it like in some kind of snotty way, but, but, but by definition of truth... To say that something is your truth is not, it, it makes it no longer truth by, by this biblical definition. And so we know that there's a popular cultural terminology of my truth. And I think I understand it if I'm trying to understand it openly, right? If I'm trying to give an honest shake at it, I think that there is something of telling a story, right? That, that you have a perception, you have a perspective, and you have a story. But when, you, when you're getting to semantics, to say that it's your truth really takes away from what truth is. Is that fair to say? 
And so I think, like, for us as followers of Jesus, we don't have to take pot shots all the time at people or get angry about things, but we have to understand at least what we know about truth and, and stay grounded in that truth and stay close to that truth in a world that will continue to compound and bring about more confusing ideas that get you like, wait, what is the truth? You know, where you're like Pontius Pilate going, wait, what is truth? The final part about the truth, and this isn't exhaustive at all, but, the, but knowing the truth is the only path to freedom. This is, these aren't my claims, right? That's what I love about being a Christian. These are not my claims. These are not my truths. These are, these are Jesus' claims. And remember that process that we're in. If we're entering into the story, we're in the dialogue now. A claim is being made. It's defended. Now we're the public. We have to figure out what we're going to do with what we know. But the truth is the only path to freedom. And that's his message to these people. And they don't necessarily want to hear that. Look at verse 39. It says, Jesus answered them. Um, they answered him, excuse me. Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, this is verse 39. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. It's, it's going to get gnarly right about now. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Genesis 15 will tell you that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. James 2 will tell you the same thing and says because of that, he's called the friend of God. And what Jesus is saying to these people is like, look, if if, if you don't understand or believe me in, in these areas, I'm telling you truth from God, then you're not even acting like your dad. But he's setting them up because he's, got, he's about to say, I'm about to tell you who your dad really is, and you're not going to like it. And then, he, and then it goes into another claim, right? Jesus drops a truth bomb, and they're all, the, the response from the truth is a lie. The lie is this. And they said to him, were you not born of sexual immorality? We have one father, even God. Can you just feel the awkwardness of the tone? I mean, can you imagine being in that conversation? And, and like, do you, do you think it was, it was like an honest question? Oh, oh, by the way, I was just thinking, weren't you born of sexual immorality? Can you, not, can you not feel the sarcasm in the tone? I mean, if they were hinting it before, now they're just, before they're saying, who's your dad? Now they're saying, hey, wait, oh, remind me, weren't you... You know, insert foul word for what people are called that don't know who their father is. Aren't you that? Jesus says this. Um, Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I'm here. And I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Verse 43 says, Why do you not understand what I say? Listen to this. Is it because you cannot bear to hear my words? You were of your father, the devil. What? It was a, that was just like, again, the picture. That was a. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Where you originate from, your source, he's saying, your origination 
is from the liar, and you're acting just like your dad. We know this verse, don't we? That the devil is the liar and the father of lies. And we often apply it to the realities of what happens in our inner life. In our inner life and in our head, sometimes the enemy will come at us with lie after lie after lie. And the Bible teaches us to take every thought captive. That for a moment we have to think about that and go, is that true? No. If, if, the, if the devil is lying, you're able to say, if he's lying about your character, um, if he's lying about your identity, if he's lying about your validity or, or any of those things, you're able to apply scripture to who you are in Christ that the same things that Jesus is saying about himself you can apply over your life and you begin to fight that fight and you, be, you come into a place of freedom. You're like, okay, if you're anything like me, sometimes that takes a little while. Like you can listen to those lies. They can, they can become repetitive for hours on end or even a day. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. And you have to stop and actively take those thoughts captive. But we, we see that not only was this a, a a commentary of the time of the moment, but this is a this is a very real of the commentary of our moment. Romans eight, uh, excuse me, Romans one. We've been reading Romans in our men's prayer group at six a.m. Guys, if you if you can manage to get up or, or able to um, get in here before work, it is time worth worth spending. It really is to be with brothers to pray. And, and to look at God's word together is just a phenomenal time on Fridays at, at 6 a.m. But as we've been reading it, there was a passage in, in 118 that says that mankind continues to actively suppress the truth, right? This is an ongoing thing. That This is what, what society does. It suppresses the truth. And the response to that is, I think, Philippians chapter 4. Um, I'm nowhere cool enough to get a tattoo, but if I was cool enough to get one, I think I would just like tattoo all of Philippians chapter 4 just everywhere. Just be like, yeah, that's cool. Highlight that. There comes a certain age in life, though, where if you get it, a tattoo at that point, then it's too try hard. But like if you were, if you did that like when you were in your 20s or 30s, it, it could be potentially cool. Not unless you got the wrong one, then it's not cool anymore. But, but all that to say, it's that important. The fourth chapter of Philippians is that important. In, in chapter 8, and this could be maybe application for you this week, as you begin to, to see this interchange that's happening in the conversation of your daily life between truth and lie, truth and lie, that you don't entertain the lies, that you don't spend time trying to understand the lie and the liar, but that you quickly are able to go, I, don't, I just don't have time for that because I'm so fascinated with the truth. I'm so into spending time with Jesus and the truth. It doesn't make you um, ignorant. It doesn't make you um, irrelevant to society. It actually makes you wise. You've heard this analogy so many times, I'm sure, if you've been to church before, but they talk about how does the the counterfeiter person know when something is counterfeit? Do they spend time with real dollar bills or fake ones? Well, they spend time with real ones, right? And so, so I, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what I've always been told, so I'm just going to say it, right? Uh, applying scripture right here. I'm just kidding. But the, the fact of the matter is, when you, when you know something is, is true because you spent so much time in it, you were able to identify what's false. I like it this way, too, that it's often true like in a church setting or, where, or any kind of gathering, any family gathering or whatever else. When you're living by the streams of water, you know, and bearing fruit in season, whatever you're doing is prospering, as it says in the Psalms, it's as though you have a clear, a clear stream before you. Isn't, there's nothing like a clear stream. It's just beautiful to look at. 
And so when you have a clear stream, you know when something's going on that muddies the water. But when you have muddy waters all the time, you don't know what it's like to have a clear stream. Are you tracking with me? And so it's time, I think, for us to really take a hard look at, at are we spending time in, um, with the real stuff? Are we spending time in muddy waters? Or are we spending time just like, man, I am around clear and clean waters. What's coming into our eye gate, what's coming into our ear gate, what fascinates us, what we want to grow and learn in. And if we would just apply Philippians 4, I think it would be a, a wonderful exercise for our lives. It says, finally, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I don't want to sound like a Puritan, but if you were applying that to like the clicker or whatever, a clicker, I can't believe I just said that, the remote control, (laughs) if you were applying that, you would be like, switch, 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 right? That there's so much falsehood and lie and muddy water that's coming at us that we've got to stop for moments and, and apply this kind of passage. Can I just go even further into that? I'm going to anyways. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You know, what's, what, why Jesus has to say to them, whom the Son has set you free is free indeed, is because they didn't know they were captive. And sometimes if we're, if we're um, not careful, we can find ourselves captive thinking that we're free. And so that's why the New Testament tells us, hey, be careful. Don't become fascinated with human philosophies and things that are going to cause you to be in captivity when he, God intends freedom for you. Is this making any sense to you? It's just a, it was such a rich reminder to me. And I was so grateful for it. I really was. Verse 45. Jesus is about to put an, an emphatic period at the end of this sentence. And it's, it's absolutely beautiful what he does. Verse 45, it says, But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you're not of God. Ooh, it's a revisit to the earlier thing, truth claim. Your your dad's the devil and you're not of God. How many of you have heard before the term the good news? The good news of the gospel, that you can be set free of your sins, that you can be forgiven, that you can have an eternity with Jesus forever in heaven. That's the good news. Jesus is illustrating to us that before we can embrace the good news, we have to come to grips with the bad news. And so the bad news here is not just for those Pharisees in the first century. This is the bad news for humanity, that that this is what we were born into. Verse 48, the Jews answered him. (laughs) This is so classic, right? Remember, truth, lie, truth, lie. Again, we can only guess what the tone was, but sounds kind of sarcastic to me. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't you demon-possessed? 
And don't you have a questionable background? You know, for, for their culture and time, that was like a, a, a racial slur. They, they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans had um, an, a questionable um, lineage in their mind. They were, uh, according to the actual terminology of Samaritan, meant like a half-breed, you know? It was like really not a nice thing to say at all. I mean, as if, and, and, and honestly, for that culture, who, who knows what was worse, saying that he had a demon or that he was a Samaritan. They were both really awful things to say to Jesus. You ever had anything awful said to you before? And the, and the reaction to that. But, but I, I love Jesus' reaction. And again, I wish I knew the tone, but I can only assume it knowing the character of God. Jesus answered them, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I, I have to just think that Jesus was perfect in all his ways, meaning full fruit of the Holy Spirit as a member of the Trinity. And I don't think he's like, you have a demon. You know, it wasn't like all um, uh, defensive and crazy. You know, when, when someone is just strong in their conviction and confident in what they believe, that they can speak the truth without emotion, and it, man, doesn't it have such a massive impact? It's when you need all the drama to go with your presentation that you miss the, just, the, 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 just the potency of the truth. And Jesus, I think, just says it. No, I, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I, I do not seek my own glory, there's one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And he's about to drop down another truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps, remember that word abide, it's the same idea, remains, keeps my word, he will never see death. Now here comes a statement back. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham, it's like, we got you, right? Remember, public, you have to decide. We got you, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, there it is. <laughs> As did the prophets, and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? This is the overriding question throughout this Gospel of John. It's who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. Yet, but, excuse me, but you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his words. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. They're just like, I don't even know what to do with this. You know, um, when there is like this, demonic spirit at work where there's truth and lie con confronting one another, you can almost feel the, um, the irrational moment. Like you can just feel like, you know, just how uh, dark that those moments are. You could be saying something of just absolute truth, like the sky is, is blue. No, it's not. It's black. You're awful, right? Like, I, I, do, do you follow me? Like just this, this thing that's at work, that even simple truth wasn't even you, you couldn't even grasp it. And I think we see it so often in our world today where you, you don't even see it coming that sometimes you, you, you say something you didn't realize was offensive. It wasn't offensive yesterday, but now today it's offensive. It's the same sort of spirit that's at work. Verse 57 says, the Jew said to him, again, something that's untrue, you are not yet 50 years old, 
and you have seen God? Because Jesus is God. He's seen everything, of course. In verse 58, Jesus responds with truth. Well, here it comes. Jesus said to him, truly, truly. I got to imagine Jesus said it really slow, too. Like, truly, truly. I say to you, before Abraham was, long pause, I am. And at that moment, if there was any questionable, uh, if there was any question to his claim pre- in the previous part of the chapter over that I am he, or if the he should be there in the Greek or not, or whatever else, there is no question now. Before Abraham was, I am. And the reason that we know there's no question to his claim of being God is what did they do? What was their immediate reaction? Their immediate reaction was they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Awesome. This is so awesome. What, what, what Jesus is, I was going to say, this is so gangster, and I don't even know why I would even say that. That's why I had to stop myself. Like, why would I say that? I don't know what gangster is. This is just so great. This is so great what Jesus says because it's the truth. And, and again, we, you know, we, we've, we've said this throughout this gospel, and you'll hear anyone preaching on it. You're not getting anything brand new here. There's nothing new under the sun. God's word is timelessly true and timely for this moment. But if anyone ever asks you or if anyone ever questions that Jesus never claimed to be God, um, there's multiple points in the gospel of John where you can say it. This is my favorite one. This one is, compl- is, is so, so clear. And so um, that, that's there for you. Jesus is God. Before Abraham was, I am. Now listen, there are a lot of things that you can do with today's message. And as I prayed for us, uh, and as I prayed even in my own life, I kept hearing the Holy Spirit just saying, it's just about truth. It's just about truth. This chapter for you is just about truth. And there's no just to it. It is about truth. And my, uh, my encouragement to you is to surround yourself with God's truth, with the truth. Become more and more fascinated with truth. Um, there is so many counter-narratives happening in our society and our world, and we're not even sure which one to believe. Conspiracy theory used to be weird, and now it makes a lot of sense. You know, that's, that, that, that's kind of like, uh, I thought that would be funnier. But... Um, <laughs> But, but this is just, and so what, where, I, where I felt the Lord, what he had for us was in the midst of all of those things. I'm not, I'm not in any way suggesting that you become like, you know, I don't want to see anything. Open your eyes wide, but see it through the lenses of truth. And the only way that you can open your eyes wide is to spend a lot of time in truth. How many, I'm not going to ask you a show of hands, but just... How many of you have taken some of that time to spend with Jesus in prayer? I know for, for me, carving out this one hour in specific prayer and something specific, it's just like, it's such a small investment that yields such a huge benefit, right? That is one example of spending time in truth. Another example is, is attending um, some Bible study and some things like that. But fine-tuning and sharpening that discernment in your heart to know that still small voice that when you're around a lie, to, to, to be able, a, a, a lying idea or even entertainment that lies or whatever else, when you begin to get in confused, 
instead of trying to, un- to peel that onion and, and find the fact in your own strength and understanding, that's your time to lean into him. That's your time to spend more time with God, to spend more time in his word, to spend more time in prayer. And, and, and not so that you're like a good little Christian robot, but so that you remember what I am is all about. I am is not just about being preexistent. I am is about being able to know him and for him to know you. Is this making any sense? And so we're going to apply this in, in communion. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. Um, and we're just going to take some time to consider the claims of Jesus. I have to really ad- admit to you and be completely honest with you that as I, I read um, this this week, there was such a sense of like the fear of God over my life. Do you know what I mean by the fear of God? Like, like that this is not something to play with, that these claims are not something to play with. When Jesus speaks of, of an eternity, when he speaks so bluntly to people who thought they understood and knew the truth and said, hey, you're a bunch of liars and your dad's the devil, like that was a big deal. You following me? And, and I don't say this to incite fear in anyone, But if there was like a group of people who believed Jesus and he spoke this hard to them, what does that say about us? They believed him. These weren't his adversaries. This was the group that started off going, oh yeah, this makes sense. The call is not fear for you. The call is to go, how might I abide in him? How how might I not just go, you know, of all the philosophies in the world, I think Christianity makes the most sense. That's believing. Abiding is going, here is my life, a living sacrifice. I may not know everything, but I know that you love me, and I give myself fully to you, and I know that the bad news is is I was born into sin. The good news is is that you came to rescue me from my sin, and the only way that I can have freedom is through you. There aren't alternative ways to freedom. Those are are, are short um, um, sort of, what's the word, imposters to, to the real freedom. And so as you're considering the the holiness of communion, that you don't approach it lightly. Man, we had, I don't, I don't see him here, a brother who um, Jim and, and JT led to the Lord, just meeting him in the, in the orange circle. And I'm telling his story, but I think it's okay. He, he began to follow Jesus and wanted to break bread in communion. And they said to him, If you want to break bread, you have to invite Jesus into your life. That's part of the deal. I know I'm paraphrasing. You know what he said? Let's do it. I'm all in. That this, for him, on our worship night, his communion was his first communion, his declaration of Jesus' body that was broken for him and his blood that was shed for him, that he might be free of sin and walk in true freedom. And, and wherever you're at today, this might be yours as well. This might be your first communion in that regard. Communion is really holy. And when I say the word mysterious, I don't mean it in, the, in like it's like a, a, a case to solve. It's something so holy that, that, that denominations over the centuries have argued about what it really is and it's divided them. The one thing we know for certain is that it's a symbol and it's so much more. It's so much more. And so as we come to the Lord's table, we come to communion from, a, from this backdrop of understanding Jesus' claims of truth. And my encouragement to you is just to spend a little time as we worship. We're going to sing that song about uh, that song, Gratitude, again. Because that's what he said when he 
instituted communion. He said, hey, you can do this as often as you like, but as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so as you're remembering, the only human response to remembering what he did is thankfulness for what he's done for your life. So for some of you, it's a whole fresh commitment to Christ and understanding what he's done, a commitment to walking in truth, a commitment to being far from compromise emotionally, mentally, and even physically. For others, it might be saying yes to him for the first time, but there is room at the table. There's room at the table for those who say yes, who believe, and who want to follow Christ. Does that make sense? Why don't we stand together? When you're ready, um, we're going to sing the song a little bit, but when you're ready, just come. Come to the table and, and, and hold the, um, the element of communion in your hand before you, you just partake. I think there's something special to doing communion in community. And so we're going to break bread together. But it, and I also think it's, it's important to hang on to and consider what you're holding, um, the, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. I'm going to invite Arian and Laura to come and join me. And, uh, but as, as they sing and as you're ready, please help yourselves. And if there are those that... Um, that need to be served. Somebody just serve them. Let's, let's be the body of Christ to one another.
lead us in this time we break bread together and I'm gonna ask them to just pray over the, the bread and the cup. Father God, as we heard this morning, uh, your son being the truth, Lord, we're also reminded that he is the bread of life. And God, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that he gave. And as we hold this cracker in our hands that's broken, God, we are reminded of the sacrifice that was made in his body being broken and bruised for us. God, so right now we... We remember him and we accept, Lord, the gift that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's break it and eat together. God, and as we hold this cup, we're reminded of the blood that was shed. Thank you, Jesus. God, and how it washes over every sin, Lord. God, and we thank you for that. And um, every day we can wake up anew knowing that you have washed our sins, Lord. And so as we stand here today remembering what you did for us on the cross, we also remember what you do for us today, every day, Lord, renewing us. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. sing this song again and I would invite you as as we sing um, this song maybe two responses just thinking about these disciples who were far from perfect you know look at Peter's life or any one of them but they certainly understood what it meant to abide in the truth and then just believe Jesus but their response was immediately leaving their nets they followed him And I would invite two responses as we sing this song. One, just expressing that to the Lord of your desire to abide in him, not just know about him, but to really know him. And secondly, I'd invite you to to pray for those that are around you. Um, If you know them, put a hand on their shoulder, speak blessing into their life. In a confusing world that seeks to put so much information in our heads that it makes it difficult to understand what's true and what's not. The prayer is that we intercede for one another to be those who understand the simplicity of Jesus' claim. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You will know the truth, and the truth will be free. Will make, uh, the truth will make you free. And my heart's desire for the body of Christ, certainly for this place, we'd be the freest people in the room, right? The freest people in the room. When you walk in freedom, and it's such an attractive quality that people long to know why you're so free and you hold the good news to pass on. And so please respond in that way as they sing this song, committing your life afresh and anew and praying for those that are around you, just interceding that God would clear the path of all the external information 
to that which is pure and true and praiseworthy, releasing us into new levels of freedom. Would you guys lead us? thank you that you hear us, that you see what's going on in our lives. Lord, that you're responding in power, that your hand is not too short. God, you're with us. So I bless your people, God. I pray they would know you more this week and let your truth be like good seed planted in good soil. And Lord, let today's message of, of who you are and what you say about yourself bring life I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.